My wife's going to help me out here today. Um, I'm incomplete without her. I'm the muscle, she's the backbone. Amen? I mean, could you imagine me just a pile of muscles here? What good would I be? But without a backbone, I'm nothing. This is an awesome woman. She keeps me straight. About three weeks ago, David Scrivens came uh, for Sunday morning and Sunday evening and talked about the addiction of porn. You guys remember him? Okay. You guys remember him? It's a conversation, not a lecture. Part of this message had um, the reason some of the people turned to porn was because it was an avoidance of a pain, or they used this to calm their pain and suffering in their lives. And in the evening meeting, he brought up a point that says, we don't know how to suffer. We in America don't know how to suffer. We know how to medicate suffering. We know how to run away from suffering, but we don't know how to go through suffering. I asked the question to myself, do I know the skills of suffering? And I think I did, but I didn't have a clear understanding. So I put to task myself how to go through suffering in a righteous way. Uh, This is Father's Day, 2017. A good father will pass down skills, right, to his kids. So on Father's Day, this father's going to try to pass down some skills that I have learned while walking through the suffering, which is kind of ironic because, you know. Come on, walking, guys. All right, you guys. All right, let's go to Psalms 23. Uh, David's not, oh, there it is. It's not shown here. All right. There we go. Psalms 23. You guys like Psalms 23? You love it. Thank you, Jordan. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? He makes me lay down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. It's a great, peaceful place to just hang out, enjoy some grass. It's another joke. Be by the lake, right? It's a great, peaceful place. Another verse in there is, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I'm not saying the family in this uh, table are enemies, but we went from an identity of a sheep eating grass to being at the table with a family, right? Would you all have a sheep at your table? Anybody? It's a different identity. Psalms 23 is a roadmap of identity. It leads us from one thing to the other to the other. Then he anoints my head with oil. Anointing the head with oil seems... um, also to be kind of a mark of respect, sometimes paid by a host to his guest. But more importantly, it was a rite of inauguration for kings and officials. This was showing everybody, this guy is in authority. I am anointing your head to make you king. Samuel came and anointed the head of Daniel 
to make him king. So he went from sheep to being at the table as a family or friend to being anointed. Amen? You guys get that? The next one here is... Surely this one's for you. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Amen? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now here's another identity. See if you guys can pick this out. John, who dwells in your house forever? Not Jesus, but do your children dwell in your house forever? Do friends come and go? Do sheep dwell in your house forever? Who's the one person that dwells in your house forever? Who's the one person that dwells in your house, the person sitting next to you? Who is it, people? The bride. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever is the identity of the bride. So you went from a sheep to a friend or a family member to somebody who's anointed, who's king, who's got authority, to the bride. The bride is the only one who dwells in the house forever. I love this picture. This is the bride going into this big palace, but look at the floor. What's the floor made out of? It's water. That's pretty cool, I think. So what did I miss in this Psalms 23? Anybody? What did I miss? Between the sheep and the friends, between the identity of eating grass and fellowship at the table and the anointing, what is between that in my path? The valley. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. This could be a very offensive message. When I put it together, I was highly offended because it really hit me in a tender spot. So if you're offended, you're, you're joining me in my offense, okay? Try to pick out the truth in this offense. Here's some walking through the valley of the shadow of death that I saw. Those are very trained, very well-trained German shepherds. Here's another valley. Ah, that's not a good picture. That's a chicken walking in front of a Kentucky Fried Chicken place. This poor little chihuahua is kind of in the valley of the shadow of death. This is a cow walking through a whole bunch of crocodiles. I don't know if he made it, but that is certainly a valley of the shadow of death. I kind of like this one. Can we bring the house lights down a little bit? This is a valley, and there's these huge, giant sculptures with this little guy walking through it. Valley of the Shadow of Death. But I really particularly like this one. Because this talks to me about my darkness, the darkness that I walked through. There's death on both sides. I don't know if you can see it that well. But there's this little guy that he is going into this Valley of the Shadow of Death. 
Darkness in the valley is nothing. I researched a lot of this, and I saw a lot of artwork. And, and to this scripture, they had these mighty men with uh, armor and weapons going into this valley. That is not the purpose of the valley of the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death is crushing. It is terrifying. It is testing of men's souls to its, to its failure. The valley of the shadow of death is sometimes what we need to get us from a sheep to our identity in Christ as a friend, as a king, and as a bride. Thank you, David. There are three different kinds of sufferings, right? There is self-inflicted suffering, there's father-directed suffering, and then there's tragedy suffering. First, self-inflicted suffering. Can you guys give me some examples of self-inflicted suffering? Something that I have brought upon myself. Somebody? Speak up, can't hear you. How about working out? If you go to the gym and you're working out, are you suffering? Amen? Let's get a little guy. He's going to go work out. But have, have any of you, like, worked out and you actually brought suffering upon yourself? Amen? All right? That is a self-inflicted suffering. What other kinds of suffering are there? All right? Dieting. You have brought this upon yourself. You're bringing a suffering upon yourself. Anything else? How about a higher education for a better job? You've got to take that pain upon yourself to study, to pass the test. It's a self-inflicted. Here's one that I like. Placing yourself under authority. That's what I'm doing now at work. Or submitting. I love this picture. Okay, authority is not one of these things where they got the thumb on you and pushing you down. It is a protection, all right? If you were to step out of that authority, you're going to be a target of the enemy. But sometimes this self, when you're submitting, there is some suffering to that because they're trying to protect you. Now, here's the offensive part. Not working out and getting out of shape brings obesity-related problems. Is this a self-inflicted suffering? All right, knees hurt, digestive problems, diabetes. You have brought this upon yourself because you have chosen not to do the first one. Work out, self-inflicted. Here's another one. Not eating right brings health problems. I hate this picture. Because that could be us if we don't do what's right. This is self-inflicted. This is not from God. Next one here. Not bettering yourself and suffering under poverty. Here's this guy, that middle-aged guy, still working at a fast food restaurant. This is self-inflicted because you didn't take it upon yourself to better yourself. Yes, it is offensive. And next, not placing yourself under authority. That allows the enemy to hit you. That separates you out from the herd. 
It keeps you alone. There is no authority for direction. Self-inflicted suffering is not placing yourself under authority. I had a self-inflicted suffering that I put on myself back in 1999. I decided that I wanted to make a run for the Paralympics in sled hockey. Sled hockey is an Olympic sport. It takes a tremendous amount of time, training, effort, cardio, weights, working with a team, travel, expense, self-inflicted suffering. But in 2002, we went to Salt Lake City. We played the best in the world, and we won a gold medal. I went through a lot of suffering for a goal in mind. Self-inflicted suffering. Nobody told me to do that. This was not father-led. Next one is father-directed suffering. Can anybody give me an example from Scripture of how the father led somebody into a suffering? Say again. Job? Okay. Who said Jesus over here? Jesus. What was the example in Jesus? Called him into the wilderness. All right. Can I bring up uh, the house lights just a little bit? The Holy Spirit is known as a comforter, right, guys? But he led Jesus into the wilderness right after the baptism. The dove rested on him, and it says the Holy Spirit led him. How is it that the Holy Spirit can be a comforter and lead you into the wilderness? How is that? How does that work? The example I have is, let's say you have this terrible wound, a big gash. Do you want anybody to touch that? Anybody? Why? Because it hurts, amen? It hurts. The Holy Spirit says, I have to touch it because I have to clean it out. I have to bring a little more suffering so that I can get the infection out so that we can sew it up and bring true comfort. I believe the Holy Spirit brings a comfort that we don't think is a comfort. I believe he brings a a lasting, a permanent comfort. Not just a band-aid on our cancer, but to clean the cancer out. And sometimes that hurts more than what we think is comfort. In my wilderness, I would cry out, I would even get really mad and cuss at the Holy Spirit and said, this is not comfort. You told me you were a comforter, and this is hell. What is going on? Jesus said he was a comforter. I have to change my thinking on what comfort is. He's trying to move the cancer out of me, trying to move the hurt, trying to move the disappointment, trying to move the sin so that I can heal and be a total person at peace. That is a comforter. Man, that was a good place for an amen. Amen? Amen, there we go. He's my best amener here. All right. Father-directed suffering. Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Here's some more. Father led uh, James to work in the corporate setting. If anybody uh, knows me, I am not a corporate person. I am the, uh, you know, the guy who owns his own business and out there swinging a hammer. I've been working in construction for 35 years 
And the Lord led me into a structured corporate with all the politics and all the rules, and my wife is shaking her head and laughing, totally against who I am. Shirley, could you imagine going working for a corporation? You or I have the same, like this. But he led me into this. This is father-led, and I cry out every morning, Lord, relieve me from this suffering. And he says, no, I'm doing something in you. I'm doing something in you, James. This is me. He's told me to pray for them. He's told me to pray for my bosses and all their rules and regulations that make no sense to me. But I am being obedient to the Father's direction. Sometimes there's suffering when we have a standard of righteousness and love. There was a time when I worked for a, a construction company, and there was a very thick sexual harassment policy in this office. And I'm saying for the bad, they would sexually harass all the women. I took a stand for righteousness because the boss called himself a Christian. I took a stand for righteousness. Was I, was I setting myself up for suffering? Absolutely. I didn't work there very long after that. But I took a stand for righteousness. Sometimes suffering will come when we take a stand for righteousness. Here's some other sufferings. Father asks us to volunteer at the church. All these guys in the back booth, they come early, they come on Wednesday, they stay late. It's kind of a suffering. Those that work in the nursery, those that show up early, it's kind of a suffering. Father may ask you to come and give yourself to this church. Father asks us to lay down our rights. This is a suffering. I lay my rights down as a husband because I'm in charge. No. Lay your rights down as a wife, a father, a mother, an employee, a boss, or a neighbor. Father says, it's not your rights, it's my love through you. If you need to suffer, you're suffering for love. This is Father directed. Amen? That was good, James. Father wants a glorious bride. Matthew 16.25. For, I'm sorry. Father wants us to lay down our life for his sake. For if you want to save your own life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. There is suffering in that. Father wants a glorious bride. That's our eventual identity. To move into this identity of a bride. He might present the church to himself a glorious bride. Everybody said, I'm a glorious bride. Look, them, look in the mirror when you go home tonight and say, I'm a glorious bride. Lord, you got some work to do on this glorious bride. What's his work? Without spot or wrinkle. Guess where the spots and wrinkles get ironed out? In the valley. This is where the spots get washed and pushed out. Where the pressure... Explain an iron to me. What are the two main elements of an iron? Heat and pressure. Wrinkle. When the Lord brings heat and pressure, he's preparing you as the bride. This is the sanctification of our soul, the purifying, the pressure and the heat that makes the bride one without spot or wrinkle. That was good. I like that. 
Sharing the sufferings of Christ. Have, has anybody ever said, God, I want to I share in Christ's sufferings? 2 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals that have come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. This is part of our mature walk, people, not to run from suffering, not to medicate suffering, but to walk through, to let the suffering do its work. I knew this would be popular. And then here comes the real offense, and I really don't like this one. It's called tragedy suffering. This kind of suffering is not from the Father. God does not give you cancer to glorify his name and show the world that he is a loving God. That comes from the evil one. Amen? That comes from a fallen world. Tragedy suffering is the attack on us from the enemy, from the world, sometimes from our own stupid mistakes. What are some ideas, what are some examples of tragedy sufferings? Just shout them out. Diseases. How about war? Is that from Father? Say it again. Right. Death. Famine. Tell me where God is in any of this. Children born with disabilities. Maybe disabled during, due to a disease or trauma. And then untimely death of a loved one. This is not from the Father. This is from the enemy. But where is the Father in our trauma? Where is the Father in our suffering? Somebody. He's right there. He's right there in our valley. I'd like to introduce you to Nancy Missler and her husband, Chuck. Nancy Missler and Chuck are Bible teachers and authors. They have ministered tremendously to me. I think Chuck is a high-level genius. He brings such a depth to the Word that blows my mind. Nancy has a ministry uh, called Agape Love, and then a book that she just wrote after her tragedy. She wrote a book and has a seminar called The Faith in the Night Season. Starting of July of 1980, they were very successful business people. Chuck was a multimillionaire. They lived in California. In July, in this one month, July of 1990, the IRS told them that they owed $2 million in taxes. The very same month, they learned their business was going through bankruptcy, and they lost their home, their multi-million dollar home in the mountains looking over uh, Big Bear Lake. They lost their cars. They lived in a big, beautiful house that they lost. Close Christian friends started to turn their back on the Misslers due to their business going under. Their friends had invested in their business. 
After they lost their big home, they moved across town to a small house to try to start over. In that same year, a 6.8 earthquake hit California, and the epicenter was their house. They lost everything, moved, and then an earthquake wiped them out. They said they went into their house and the debris was this high. It took them eight hours to dig through the debris to get to five feet through their house. All of their plates, they said the, micro, uh, the microwave was thrown across the, the room. Everything was destroyed. They decided to move to uh, Idaho. Not too many earthquakes in Idaho. But they had to move six times in four years. On top of all this, their 39-year-old son who had a wife and children and was healthy and went for a jog, dropped dead of a heart attack. Is that tragedy suffering? Yes, it is. After this suffering, after she walked through the valley, she had this ministry called Faith in the Night Season. She put together a book and a series of her walk through so that all of us could learn from her night season. That's another reason for walking through, is to gather the information to help others that have walked through. I would like to do a, a video right now of another person that you may or may not know. Kitty, can you roll that video? And you drop the house? I can do it back here. Horatio Spafford was a well-known lawyer and businessman in Chicago in the 1860s, where he lived with his wife Anna and their five children. He had invested heavily in real estate along the shores of Lake Michigan. He was a prosperous man and a devout Christian. However, in 1870, a series of events began to turn Horatio's world upside down. That year, Horatio and Anna's only son died of scarlet fever at the tender age of only four. A year later, while the Spaffords were still grieving the loss of their son, the Great Chicago Fire broke out and destroyed nearly every one of Horatio's investments. His entire life savings was gone. disasters had taken on his family, Horatio decided to take his wife and four daughters on a holiday to England, where they planned to accompany the famous evangelist D.L. Moody on his next crusade. However, just before they set sail, a last-minute business development forced Horatio to delay. Not wanting to ruin the family holiday, he persuaded his family to go on as planned he would follow along later. 
With this decided, Horatio stayed in Chicago while Anna and the girls boarded the French steamship Ville du Havre to set sail for England. But several days later, Horatio received devastating news. The Ville du Havre had been struck by an iron sailing vessel from England. The ship sank in only 12 minutes, claiming the lives of 226 passengers. It was the worst disaster in naval history until the sinking of the HMS Titanic 40 years later. The next day, he received a telegraph from Anna from Wales. It read these six words, Survived alone, what should I do? The Spafford's four daughters were among those who perished. Horatio boarded the next ship out of New York to join his bereaved wife. During his voyage, the captain of the ship called him to the bridge. A careful reckoning has been made, he said, and I believe we are now passing the very place where the Ville du Havre sank. And it was there while staring into the watery grave of his beloved daughters, that Horatio penned the words to the great hymn, It is well with my soul. business. He lost his four daughters. He was in the valley, but he didn't stay in the valley. And how did he make it out of there? Was my quest, was my, my wondering of how do we get through the valley? See, three weeks ago, Dave exposed that we stay in the valley with our addictions. Our addictions actually keep us in the valley. God is wanting to uh, have us walk through the valley and not stay in the valley. Notice in that story, the boat captain said, this is about the place where your daughters died. And he didn't stay there. He kept going on. The story goes on to say that they went over to England. They had more children, but they started a ministry that helped 30,000 young youth at risk 
every year. They went through the valley and took on that authority. They were anointed after the suffering to help reach out to other hurting young people. There is a purpose for this valley, and it is not to feed our addictions. As a father, on Father's Day, I bring kind of a hard message, but it's to get us through the valley and not to stay there. Skills in the suffering. First skill, know what suffering you are in. Did I do this to myself? Is this father-directed? Or is this tragedy suffering? God is with you in all sufferings. But it's important that you, need, you know which suffering you are in. Skill two. Identify what is actually suffering. Ask yourself, what is suffering? Is my body suffering because I'm working out or I haven't worked out? Do I need to change that? Are my emotions suffering? Because I'm holding on to an old thought process of I'm still a baby and people need to serve me. Are my selfish hopes suffering? My unwillingness to grow up? My plans? My plans got interrupted when Father said, go work at this big corporation. That's Father suffering. What is my idea of comfort? It may look a lot like an addiction. You need to check in with the Holy Spirit and say, is this comfort filtered through you? I'm going to say something that may be very unpopular. But drowning yourself in worship music at home, all right, can become an addiction. You're not dealing with the true issue that God wants you to deal with. You're just doing a Christian addiction. Ouch. I've been known to do that. It is very comforting to my soul to just drown my own sorrows in worship music when the Holy Spirit is saying, we need to get to the root of this addiction and get the sin out of your life, get the cancer out of you so that we can heal you up and move on. Enjoying the addiction versus walking through the valley. Identify the addiction in your life. I'm going to be candid. One of the addictions that God is working on me is my addiction to one of the most powerful drugs that has ever been introduced to the world, and that is sugar. Refined sugar is more addictive than cocaine. And that is one of my addictions that he is having me lay down so that I can walk through this valley. Now, here's a question I really, really want you guys to consider. What are they distracting me from? What are my addictions distracting me from? Claire and I have this saying that I just want to be distracted, or I, uh, say like watching endless TV is a distraction. Going to this or that is a distraction from my addiction. What are they distracting you from? I think it's from being healed. I think it's from walking through. I think it's from, they want to distract you from sitting down and taking a break. 
Addictions keep you in the valley of the shadow of death. Addictions say sit down and stay a while and make this your home. Walking through the valley builds, here we go, the fruit of the Spirit called long-suffering. It is not the most popular fruit, but it is something that is a fruit if we are walking in the Spirit. The Comforter builds long-suffering. We need to change our idea of what comfort is. Change your thinking about where you are going to get your peace from. Many of these addictions will give us a peace for a temporary time, especially pornography. It distracts you from your pain. It gives you a peace. But we need to change our thinking about where we are getting our peace from. That's a good one. Claire? So the next thing is exchanging the thinking of your past to your future. Um, when James and I first got married, we had decided that I was going to be a stay-at-home mom, and I was going to be with the kids, and he was going to go out and work and provide the money for the family. And that was our vision of how our life was going to go. And it was going along pretty decently, you know. We had what we needed, and things were okay. But then James's business failed. People cheated us. It wasn't something he did. Um, you know, we're both intelligent people. We looked into it. We weighed the risks. Yeah, there was a little risk, but we did our research, and we knew what we were doing, but we were cheated, and the business failed. And we had a choice to look back and stay where we were and focus on what was lost, or we could choose to look forward. All right, this is where we are. This is what happened. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. We were suffering. I would go to bed at night crying. God, why? Why in the world are we here? We trusted you. And this happened. And it hurt so bad. But I said, I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to trust you, even though it doesn't make sense, even though it's ruined our vision and there's no hope for our vision and what we wanted to do with our family. But I said, I said I'm going to trust you. What now? Where do you want us to go now? Because the past is gone. So he said, Claire, pursue education, teaching. I was like, but I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I didn't want to go teach. I wanted to be at home with my kids. This is not my heart. But it's what he told me to do. So I called the school system. Well, we don't need subs. You know, I tried to volunteer, get in as a substitute. We don't need subs. Um, we got plenty, thanks. You don't have a teaching certificate. You don't have a piece of paper. But thank goodness I uh, had made contact with Jordan's principal. I did volunteer there, and he said, well, let me call, and I'll get you in. Okay, great, I can substitute now, but I still don't have a piece of paper doesn't pay very much, but it was going through. It was not what I wanted to do, 
but in obedience to what the Lord told me, I went. So I had to set aside our vision, what I wanted, and choose to walk through what Holy Spirit said, not sit and stay in our tragedy, in our brokenness, not focus on what was lost. Um, you know, we had to look at was there sin in our life that's keeping us here? Was I putting my hopes on the throne? I had a vision for my family, and it wasn't happening. Was I putting that on the throne, or was I going to lay that down and say, I trust you, Lord? One of the things that Dave Scriven said when he was here was um, he was quoting somebody that said, running towards the sunset keeps you in the darkest longer. If you're chasing after what was and not willing to not be willing to look towards the new day the new thing that God may have for you that you can't see yet because the sunset went that way it's pitch black you can't see the sunrise that way you're in the darkness and all you have is what God says to do next And the next is the new thing. It's the sunrise. Make sure you're looking for the sunrise of the next thing and not chasing after the sunset of what's gone. Jesus was in the wilderness. He was called into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, a father-led suffering. He had the word of the Lord to go into the wilderness. But before he went into the wilderness, he got a word from God at his baptism. Do you remember what that word was? What was the word that came out of heaven? This is my beloved son. That's the word. In the valley, in his valley, in his desert, in his darkness, what did the devil challenge? The word that God gave him. This is the number one tool of the enemy, to challenge the word that God gave you, and then you're in this darkness, and the devil starts come chirping. Did God really say this? When you're in your darkness, when you're in your valley, what was the word of God to you? Remind yourself and your addictions, sugar, What identity has God put on me? My identity is to be a healthy leader, king, bride, and I'm not going to bring this prostitute of sugar along with me. Remind yourself, what did God say to you? Testimonies of your past victories with God and other testimonies. This is something to encourage you in your darkness in your valley. God was faithful this time. God was faithful to this person. God was faithful to this guy that lost his family in the Atlantic. He's going to be faithful to me. That is my testimony. That is the word of God. That is the thing that will be refined 
and fired upon in your valley. Ask the Father, Father, how do you see me? I see myself as a heaping, steaming pile of manure. That's how I'm looking at myself in this. But Father, how do you see me? Show me your vision. What are you seeing? You're seeing this diamond that's coming out of this coal. Amen. Then focus on the end goal and not the current pain. There is current darkness, current pain in this. Don't focus on that. Lord, what is your word? Where are you leading me this? Amen? Amen. Next, find your hope or your imagination. What is your hope of getting through this? What lays on the other side? What is that table set before me? Your hope, your vision. All right? God gave Claire a vision, pursue teaching. That's what she started looking at that way, not what we lost. Not all of the, the greatness that we had lost, but looking forward. Not to find your hope, not to hope on what you already had that was lost, but what hope is in the future. Amen? So, um, I started kind of talking about this a little bit, working on my hope. The vision of me being a stay-at-home mom was gone, and all I heard, pursue teaching, that was it. So I called the principal, can I become a substitute? He got me in, one step. No teaching certificate and a bachelor's degree in psychology, not a teaching certificate. Okay, what do I have to do to get a certificate so I can become a teacher? Well, long story short, it took me two years. I took extra classes to get my teaching certification, but it took two years for me to get a job. I substituted every single school day. I served those students. I served those teachers one step at a time. I wasn't going to go back. I could have worked here and there. I could have taken it slow, but I chose to lay down what I wanted. Could have been an addiction. Sometimes that's what it takes, laying down that addiction that's holding you back. Okay? I wanted to stay at home with my kids still. I wanted to feed into them. I wanted to have time to read books and play around, you know, have some free time. While I was substituting, I was also working at Office Depot. So I'd substitute during the day, come home, change clothes real quick, and head to Office Depot three weekdays and weekends. I didn't have time for my stuff that I wanted to do. I had to let go of all of that. Um, I had to let James become the main caregiver, and he did a great job of it, but my Stayed heart was that. there. And I didn't want to. See how the Lord will change our paths for his glory? Go ahead. So, you know, number five there, show up, don't hide. I showed up. I took the steps I knew I was supposed to take. My heart wasn't really in it. It was what God said to do. 
So I did it. He said my new identity, though, was going to be ministering to kids as a teacher. My own kids were getting older. I had laid a good foundation in them. James was taking good care of them. He's a great spiritual leader. He poured into them, too. They weren't suffering from me being gone. But I found out I had a gift in ministering to kids. And I've had students that showed up at school and their papers weren't signed. Well, I didn't see mom last night. She works. So I didn't see my mother last night. And we're talking fourth grade, guys. I was able to minister to those kids. Okay. I get it. My dad's in jail. My mom's sick. She was sleeping all night. Okay. That really stinks. It's not fair. I was able to minister to those kids and say, yeah, that really stinks. I'm so sorry. What are you going to do? You still have to do what's right for you. And I was able to speak into their lives and say, you still have to do what's right for you. And I'm here for you. And you can tell me when you're upset because dad's in jail and mom is so sick. And I'm here. And those kids talk to me. I wasn't at home with my own kids, but God had something new for me. Okay? I've had autistic kids that would just shut down. They didn't know how to do the math problem. It looked so big and scary to them, so they just literally shut down. Sometimes they put their heads under the desk. Like, they wouldn't even watch me teach. And I'd say, okay, buddy, I just need you to bring your head up from under the desk and just watch. One thing, just pull your head out from under the desk and just look. They'd pull their head up, because they could do that. They could handle that one thing. Just give them one little thing. All right, put the pencil in your hand. I'm not asking you to write anything yet. Just, just put the pencil in your hand. Sometimes I picked up the pencil and put it in their hand. <laughs> but I was there with them through it. If we will let him, God will be with, their, with us. And he'll tell us, just pick up the pencil. I'm not asking you to write anything yet. Just pick up a pencil. That's all you got to do. One step at a time. He's not going to show you the whole big scary math problem. Mm. He'll just ask you, pick up the pencil. Here's the one thing. Have any of you ever been in a valley so dark that you have to hide your head under the table? That you shut down? I have. I can't get out of bed, right? I can't think. I can't talk. Life has crushed me. The autistic kids get there quicker. But when you're in that darkest valley, that's kind of where we go. We shut down because life has crushed us so much. Part of the tool that we're trying to teach you is God is there and he will ask you to just do one little step. Get one foot out of bed. And he's there. Maybe get dressed and he's there. That is the walking through. 
It is hard, but just like the autistic kid, it's just one thing. And keep going one thing after the other. Notice she has 20 new kids every year. It came from a tragedy that happened in our family. She walked through this valley, and now her ministry is to kids that may not even have parents. Do you see how that works? She has been anointed. She has that authority. She was the sheep with the grass and enjoying the nice thing at home. But through a tragedy, God birthed this ministry to where she can bring life to students that they may not have. Isn't that amazing? Another skill of the suffering, purposely build trust. Turn around your eyes from looking at you to looking at the Father. It is an on-purpose thing. With your imagination, walk towards what your hope is. You have to develop a hope. But now start walking towards it. God, I'm in this darkness. I'm in this valley. I don't feel you. I don't see you. The only reason I know you're here is because you told me you were, but I don't feel it. But you've given me a hope. I'm going to start thinking that hope. I'm going to start talking that hope. I'm going to start worshipfully pursuing on purpose that hope in my darkness, even though I don't feel you, even though I don't see you, even though my life is crushed, I'm going to move out of this valley one step at a time, and I'm not going to let addictions keep me here. This is not my home. Addictions want you to think this is who you are. This is your environment. You have to take this pain pill of addiction, whatever it is, and you have to live here. Psalms 23 doesn't say you're going to live in this valley. It is to walk through, or my Bible says roll through. All right, you guys will get it sometime. So, kind of going back to those nights when I was crying out to God, had three little kids, wanted to stay at home, the business had failed, kept asking why, God, why. Didn't get an answer then. Didn't get an answer till quite a few years later. I was driving to school one morning, still dark, Thankful that I had a solid income that we were being provided for. I said, God, why did it take so long to get here? And to substitute for two full years took a long time. And God said, would you have traded it? And I burst into tears. I looked at my three kids and what they had become because their life was not easy. They weren't ever handed anything. Birthdays and Christmas, they got gifts. Anything else, they earned every penny. They knew if it wasn't birthday or Christmas, can I earn a quarter washing windows, Mom? Can I help the neighbor? They earned everything else that wasn't a birthday or Christmas gift because they knew we didn't have the money. And we taught them that Things don't just fall in your lap. Would we have taught them the same lessons? Would they have turned out the same if we had not gone through these things? 
And during these times, we told the kids some of what was going on. Of course, you don't tell your kids everything. You want to shelter them some. But, but we were also kind of real with them. These things have happened, and we don't have money to go out to eat. We've got food at home. may not be your favorite, but it's what we can afford. And so they kind of knew. But on that drive to work, God asked me, would you trade going through all that for who your kids are today? And I had to say, no, I would do it all again. I would cry every tear. I would do everything again because I got something different, something new out of that. And I couldn't see it at the time. I didn't see it for years. But it was there. Now I minister to 22 kids a year. My kids are amazing. None of that would have happened if his business hadn't failed and I hadn't spent night after night after night crying. And now I, can, I know what it's like to have nothing. We would have been homeless if we hadn't lived with his parents. We would have had no gas in the car if friends hadn't filled our tank for us. We were there. We understand a lot of that kind of suffering. And we're able now to walk through it with others and say there is hope in a new vision. The purpose for valleys, whether they're self-inflicted, whether they're father-directed, or even the tragedy, is to know that God is there and the valley is to go through and not to stay. Addictions, including pornography, want to medicate your pain so that you make it your home. And that's not where in, what we're intended for. We are intended for that table set before us. We are intended to be anointed as leaders, as kings and queens. We are intended to become this bride that is washed, that is wrinkle-free. And that's what the valley does. Self-inflicted suffering. You need to pursue wisdom. If you're trying to better yourself, seek wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. Lord, how do I better myself? I don't want to be a fast food clerk the rest of my life. I need wisdom on how to get out of there. I need wisdom on how to better my body so I can be healthier. I can self-inflict some suffering, but you need to do it with wisdom. Secondly, father-directed suffering. This is where you get his word, what did you say, God? And you hang on to that through this suffering. God said to me, James, go to this corporate setting. I'm going to work in you. Every morning when I go there, I remind myself of that because I don't want to be there. Lord, you're working something in me. Every bit of flesh in James is wanting out of there. But I'm going to stay under this iron so you can iron some stuff out. Your word is what I am moving on. This is the tool against addiction. When sugar says you need to really self-medicate because you had a hard day in a place you didn't want to be, 
No. God said, I'm supposed to be here for a reason, sugar, addiction, pornography, liquor, self-loathing. One of the biggest addictions is crying and whining so much to your friends so that they will give self-pity on you. That can be an addiction. That's keeping you in your valley. You need to lay that down and say, Father, you've got a purpose for this. I'm going to focus on that and stop whining to my friends so that I can get some self-pity fed. Third, tragedy suffering. Here's the tough one. Just like Claire did. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to worship you through this pain. When this guy Horatio was floating over the grave of his children and he wrote these words, it is well with my soul, I guarantee you there was zero emotion in that. That was a declaration of faith. God, through all of this disaster, I am choosing to say it is well with my soul. He was in the depths of darkness, and he says, no, it is well because you're still God. I can't feel you. I can't see you. But you are a good God. I'm declaring it by faith, and it is well with my soul. That's the kind of father message I'm bringing to you on Father's Day. It's kind of tough. But stop serving the addictions and get back on walking through. Here's the valley. Sometimes God calls us into it. Sometimes the valley comes and finds us. When you are thoroughly in the suffering and you're not relying on destructive addictions and you have no more pretending because you have nothing left to give, the valley has done its work. And all you have left is the real you. In your raw, broken, bruised, Naked self, there's no strength to perform. This is where you find who really loves you. When you have nothing left and you feel useless, the Father is right there, and He will never leave you. In the darkest, coldest, most lonely part of the valley. He is there. You may not feel it, but you trust it and endure until the sunrise reveals the evidence of things hoped for. There is an end to this valley, and it's not through addictions. If you need help with addictions, there are ministries out there that will help you. But don't let the addictions lie to you and say it's okay because addictions will lead you to death and lead you to stay in this valley. The purpose is what is beyond the valley. The purpose is the anointing. The purpose is being the bride. The purpose is a ministry that she didn't even know existed. Amen? Happy Father's Day. Let's pray.
Oh, Jesus, this is a tough one to give, her, give away. This was hard. But sometimes you need a father. to minister as a father, to say to get out of bed and get to work, the hard thing. Jesus, your presence showed up today to bring revelation to not only people in this room, but hopefully people online that may see this, that they can actually see that they don't have to live in this darkness. They can walk through and even though they may not feel you, and they can't see you, and their life is crushed, they're going to choose to say, it is well. And I'm going to walk, and I'm going to take a step, and I'm going to pick up the pencil, and I'm going to start. I'm going to rely on your word. I'm going to remember your testimony. I'm not going to hide from this shame. I'm going to walk through it. You are a good God. Daddy, happy Father's Day. And thank you for bringing this revelation to me and offending me with this truth. And I take this truth and I set down my lie of addiction and I keep going and I keep walking through this valley to become the bride that you have called us to be we love you and we trust you thank you for making us your kids and I know you're proud of us in Jesus name everybody agree amen, amen. thank you all